Hey guys, welcome back. Chris Bercher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 141, A Comprehensive Approach for Understanding Our Biosphere. All right, what does that mean? Well, number one, it makes me think of the idea of ecology, and that's what I want to talk about today, sort of my my background in ecology, what ecology is, and what and what this whole thing is, and, and, and more importantly, I guess, the current state of the evolution of this synthetic integrated idea uh, as it is evolving in real time in my mind, and this is like late August 2023, I'm really, I feel like I'm onto something here and I'm seeing this converge in so many other podcasters and writers and bloggers and uh, personalities that are uh, that I see out there on LinkedIn and Facebook because that's about the extent of the social media that I do. Uh, but more on podcasts and blogs and just things I've been reading, whether it's uh, starting with Nate Hagen's and The Great Simplification, and that's sort of spawning into all this what's wrong with neoclassical economics and discovering people like Herman Daly and people like Danella Meadows and systems thinking uh, and, and, and sort of the post-growth institute and the idea of nonprofit work, not-for-profit business, and sort of new ways of addressing what I perceive to be, and this is the real big driver of all this, the sort of problems that exist in the world, right? I've, 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 I'm one of those people, I've just always been plagued. The first thing that sort of bothered me was, you know, why are, why are some people mean? You know, and that sort of led me to where I am today with my understanding of trauma and mental health. And then the next thing was sort of like, why do we have to work 40 hours a week to, for the chance to sort of play in this game of life? You know, life just seems like something, if, if there's anything that we're, we're granted with upon birth, it seems like that is life, uh, that we should be able to, to, to have and, and utilize freely. But it turns out that's not true. And so I, I get it, right? Um, but what I see around me today are things like, well, wars, human aggression, violence, people choosing competition over cooperation, worshiping of false idols, uh, sort of these societal level things. Why is government broken? Why can't we do things that seem to be so simple? Why does everything take so long? Why is everything filled with bureaucratic red tape? You know, how come there's inequality? How come a black kid that gets pulled over driving down the road is going to be treated differently from a white kid that gets pulled over driving down the road? What does our gender or sexuality and sexual orientation matter? Uh, why aren't we more connected? Why do we see things? Why are we splitters and not lumpers? Uh, and then on an individual basis, why do we struggle with things like anxiety, depression, suicide, you know, not being able to make ends meet, having to make decisions, you know, like Aladdin in the Disney movie between stealing bread and to feed ourselves and committing crimes. You know, I perceive there to be many issues in the world that need to be addressed in order for us to be healthier. And that's sort of the, the big, the, 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 the thesis I'm trying to organize here is that I think humans can do better. I think we're doing a disservice to the millions of years of evolution that designed our brain to be so complex, to be able to think about these things and actually solve problems like this. But instead, through a lot of those things I mentioned before, the valuing of money and power and status over connectivity, um, the desire to sort of fill our own pockets before we fill our, but you know, to compete rather than to cooperate, we've taken some wrong turns. You know, I feel like if I was to show up to like a 360 review of our ancestors, they would be very disappointed in the decisions that we made over the last like five to 10,000 years. And, and sure, you know, the non-Luddites among us will say, well, look at all the things we've 
you know, you don't want to, you wouldn't have wanted to be alive. This is my favorite, you know, 400 years ago, because you'd be bathing in your own feces in the street and covered in cholera and sickness. And you'd be likely to die before you were 30, you know, probably at birth, if you were going to try to have kids, your wife is likely to die in childbirth. You're going to, you know, the argument is that human suffering is in, is decreasing like linearly, linearly or exponentially as we um, evolve. And I just don't think that accounts for a lot of the, you know, it's, um, it's energy blind. It's sort of, it's, um, it's resource blind. We have created a lot of damage. We have, there has been a lot of, um, you know, unforeseen results that have been co-opted with this progress that we've made. And we just don't, we don't define it correctly. It's like cherry picking, you know, it's like, yes, I have been, uh, I have had four children in my life and none of them died in childbirth. And that is a result of technological advances from things like science and burning fossil fuels that allowed us to do it uh, and all those things. And that's great. I'm I'm glad I didn't have to suffer through, uh, you know, that sort of a, a trauma. On the other hand, what if, what is the price that we've paid for that? If you look around the world, uh, you'll see plenty of it. And I think these things are linked. And I just think we aren't as comprehensive and holistic as we think we are. And that's sort of a big point I'm trying to make here. If you look at the title of this episode, A Comprehensive Approach for Understanding Our Biosphere, in a way, someone might argue, or one of the first things I can think people would say, don't we do that already? Isn't it called ecology? Isn't this climate science? Isn't this ecosystem science? Don't we already have this? Well, my argument is that due to the nature of these issues I mentioned before, like humans wanting to compete instead of cooperate and being disconnected and sort of looking out for our own individual um, concerns and being more driven by status and money than we are about actually solving problems, science continues to be myopic and siloed. And I am just realizing over the last five years or so that my ecological training, which I thought was the very definition of holistic and comprehensive, because in ecology, we study ecosystems and all of the interacting biotic and all of the things. But what I've learned is that even, and I I knew this, I mean, I, I got out of science because it was so myopic and for lots of different reasons of the politics and the bureaucracy surrounding it and, um, But one of the issues is that science trains scientists to think they're smarter than everybody else. And in many ways they are. But one of the things this does is it it, it perpetuates this myopia, right? We, we, We think we're looking at the big picture, but really we're just looking at what we're interested in. It's sort of like if you ask somebody, last me, for example, why'd you get into ecology? What attracted you? Well, I like fish. You know, I was interested in the fish. And so most of my career was ethnocentric around that like. The best advice I ever got during my career was that I think agriculture is bad. And so I was looking for a signature of, you know, maliciousness as a, you know, agriculture caused bad things. You know, my biases, which I thought I had reduced greater than most human beings on the planet, I was actually still struggling with them. And so ecology is not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is ecology plus everything else. What I realized is that even though my dissertation was, you know, a a masterful work, I think, in a a very small subset 
of us understanding how the planet works, I missed so many things. And I blame this on my mentors. It just wasn't a part of the curriculum. In as much as considering the true cost energetically with respect to fossil fuels that's missing in sort of neoclassical economics, that growth is not sustainable at an infinite level, you know, that's missing. Well, ecology is missing a lot of things too. So even the most comprehensive of the sciences is still missing the point. And a big part of this is just because it's so complex. And so what I'm looking at here in a comprehensive approach is to consider not just all of the things that influence and are influenced by a target organism in some ecosystem. For example, if we were studying fishes, we'd be interested in all of the things that that fish can encounter in its life, uh, which is great. You know, you're talking about nitrogen, you're talking about temperature, you're talking about all things on, on pretty broad spatial scales, all the way up to the spatial scale of the entire biosphere. And that's commendable and that's amazing. And it's so multivariate and so hard to really understand. Ecologists truly are at the precipice of sort of juggling as many of variables as they possibly can and making, you know, as few assumptions as they can about what's not going to change because all of those things are going to change and interact and it's really hard to study. But we're missing that when we scale ecology to humans. Many people have tried to do this over the years. The idea that you're studying human ecology or ecology of humans or ecology of societies. And I, I just am listening to a podcast that's very much new. I literally found it 20 minutes ago, listened to a little bit when well, the woman um, is calling this critical ecology. And we, I may be overlapping with that a little bit. I'm not sure. There's lots of different names. But what we're looking at is what makes us unique as humans that's not included in a basic ecological approach to understanding the world. Basically, that is our different, unique, and complex mental capacity, our nervous system. And this includes, for the lack of better terms, things like sociology and psychology. And within these, there are all kinds of subsets. You know, I find these themes being repeated in my work, psychology, mental health, you know, uh, neuroscience, how our brains work, philosophy, the things we talk about, like ethics, like why do we do, why are we here? What's the purpose? You know, metaphysics, all the subsets of both of those psychological and philosophical disciplines, uh, things like government and uh, politics that would be in there. Uh, so much depth of sort of understanding what makes us uniquely human. You take all of the sciences and the approaches and the, you know, the poetry and the art and the music that, that discusses sort of what it means to be human, that all has to be stuffed into the ecological model, right? It was never made that complex for me. I thought I was on the leading edge of complexity. And now it turns out I'm only really talking about, or a lot of ecologists Things that are same for all animals. And we have to accept that humans are different. And that's, that very difference is what makes us so amazing, but it also is what makes us so complex. And so what I'm trying to do is lay out the missing pieces. Put the missing pieces together. Take what we have learned from philosophy, psychology, the social sciences, which include a lot of these things, government, politics, um, uh, uh, mathematics, well, that's already in there. The things that aren't in ecology now, the things that are more touchy-feely, maybe they're softer sciences. You know, some argue that psychology is not even a science because you're studying the mind and that neuroscience studies are real science because it studies the brain. No, I'm talking about merging the left and right brain 
merging, uh, merging type A and type B personalities, you know, putting these things, putting it all together, thinking about asking ourselves the question, what's missing? If we're going to build a model of how the world can work, it has to, and you're talking about humans, it has to include all of these other variables. Whereas if you're studying something like uh, wolves, you know, in the, I don't know, in the Southern Appalachians, you don't have to include things like a government. Now, you might actually need to include, and E.O. Wilson was great about this, pointing this out, some sociological, some interaction, some conspecific interactions with your, you know, and this is, of course, population and community ecology. We do that to a certain degree. But this is adding a lot more information. And, and what I see is there is no body of work that's called this. Uh, and there are people that are agreeing with that do this work that are agreeing with me this is this is a thing and it to me it's a very finger on the pulse thing that's been happening for maybe 50 years and it probably goes back and starts with things like um you know Rachel Carson uh and Donna Mel- Donna Alamelos and, and uh, Meadows and systems thinking and sort of uh, even Thoreau and Walden sort of thinking that we're connected and things are more complicated and we you know we 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 study these things and you come out with a scientific explanation about how the world works but it's really missing some stuff and so what I've got right now, and this is very preliminary, this is really stream of consciousness, and, 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 and you know the way that I work on this is with 30-minute time periods when my wife happens to have our seven-year-old, and I have a window of time to actually think about this, and I get it down on, instead of on paper, <laughs> you know, on audio and video, that five subparts right now that sort of like form a hierarchy of steps of, of the, the, the path of my thinking. First... We have to look at human ecology or whatever you want to call this. I like the idea of critical ecology, although I haven't learned enough about that to know how much my thinking overlaps with that. You've got individual fitness, and I like the word fitness here instead of health because it implies a Darwinian sort of evolutionary advantage, and that will be a common theme about why we do the things we do. I think has to be put in an evolutionary context. So number one, evolutionary fitness versus group fitness. What I mean here is I think one of the thing, problems we're missing today is we're trying to make group decisions because all the decisions we make are group decisions, whether that's voting uh, or showing up at a PTA meeting or any of the, dip, the sort of democratic ways we go about uh, regulating our group behavior. Uh, we, we are going at that from an unhealthy position. It's like some and I don't agree with this necessarily, but some psychologists will say you have to love yourself first. Well, I think you've got to know yourself first before you can interact with another human being to make decisions, especially in large groups. Large group thinking is very difficult. We haven't figured it out. When we, when we started living in settlements of more than 50 or 200 people, all, everything broke down. We had That's you know, five, 10,000 years. We still haven't figured this out. This is a key. This is my explanation for that. So we have to do individual work first. There's a requirement that we all have to build a practice. I talk about this all the time. Things like exercise and diet and meditation um, and and sort of self-awareness and all of that. And, And so that's number two. Part of this, and again, everything applies parallel to the individual and the group. The individual work and the group work are exactly the same. We have to inventory our values, ethics, morals, feelings, and needs. We have to understand what those things are. We can't do, I argue, we can't do anything until we understand this, until we have the very basic foundational filters through which to assess any decision-making. 
we have to know what the baseline is. What is our baseline? And this is from fields of social sciences like philosophy, uh, things like ethics and morals. Like we, we have to have some rules. We have to figure out what those rules are. And those rules should filter through a set of values. Some, there has to be a universal Bill of Rights type baseline of, of the, the basic fundamental things that humans are, you know, I dare say, uh, uh, guaranteed at birth. And, we, and, and that's going to take a lot of work because first we have to do it individually. Then we have to interact with each other and kind of go, well, why did you put Xbox on your list and, you know, or whatever it is. But I think that's, that, <laughs> that work is probably under the guise of religion in the past. Uh, but I think the fundamental flaw we've been making for five, 10,000 years is that we don't ever think about it. It has to go through our individual filter too. You don't just say, well, my parents were Christian, so I'm a Christian. Or, you know, uh, my school uh, is all white and we think black people are inferior. And so I think that, you know, you, we, we absolutely have to do the individual work of figuring this stuff out for ourselves and then get together and decide what's good for the group. The third thing is sort of the social structure beyond that sort of how do we, how do we talk to each other? You know, that needs to be uh, under some, you know, hap- a haphazard approach is going to take longer and be sloppier than some sort of systematic approach, which we've, you know, had built mil- probably hundreds of thousands of opportunities to do this over the past. And this is, oh, anthropology is another one. That's another uh, science that needs to be combi- combined into all this. So what do group interactions look like? And what sort of rules do we need to make to govern those? You, we don't want people masturbating in public. We don't want rape. We don't want thievery. You know, we don't want all these things. And so what are we going to do about that? What is the social structure, whether that's a government, you know, whether that's a moral code, whether that's a shame-based sort of social interaction mechanism of a hierarchy? I don't know. Uh, but I think we have a buttload of different ways to do it. We can look at these things and make decisions to see which ones work best. And at the very least, where we are now is we look at sort of representative democracy, and I don't see that it's working anywhere very well. Maybe in sort of the Scandinavian countries, I I don't really know. And so we need a mechanism to go, how's this going? Oh, not that good? Well, what should we do about that? An adaptive management approach. That's one of the big things we haven't done, and that needs to be built into the system, and actually that's number five. But first, number four is resource allocation. And sort of toward a what I believe will emerge from our values is a more equitable dissemination of opportunity and resources across the planet. Uh, enough said. And then the last one, of course, is some adaptive management or assessment tool that allows us to regularly, you know, this is part of our values, check in and just assess what our ancestors be proud. And I think that's a really good uh, question to sort of represent whatever that might end up looking like to sort of say, how are we doing? Right. And so this comes from the idea that I used to say, what I was interested in investigating is sort of the, why am I here? What is my purpose? What's the meaning of life? Uh, And more than that, it's, I don't think that's specifically what I, I don't really want to know what the meaning of life is or what my purpose is or, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not as interested in that as in knowing what's a better way to live. How are we doing? And does that sort of line up with what I would think? If you, if you take evolution in, in, in a construct, and like I said before, the big difference with humans 
is we can sort of see a pattern. It's not linear and we're not advanced. We are just simply more derived. We are the most recent sort of arm of the evolutionary tree. So, okay, what does that mean? There's no value judgment there. I think the big difference is what it means is our nervous system is way more complex. Where we differ from everything that came before us, our ancestors, whether those are frogs or amoebas or whatever, uh, is our neural complexity. And what does that mean? Well, that means we can interact in new ways. What are we going to do with this superpower? right? Are we going to kill each other with it? You know, is that really what this is about? Like uh, trickery and cunning to be able to psychologically manipulate other humans? Is that, does that jibe with sort of the evolutionary pattern that's come before us? Or does that misalign? And I think where we, where we have gone wrong um, with respect to that in the last 200 years is that a lot of white male ecologists have sort of gotten off, if you will, on violence and sort of said, wow, look at this tough gorilla, how he throws around all the other gorillas and creates this power hierarchy. Uh, And we sort of have told that story that animals are necessarily violent and maybe a little bit evil uh, and have very selfish interests. And we've let that permeate this, you know, the sort of the, 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 the biosphere, the, the status quo. And I just don't think that's right. Um, I don't think that's right. I think if we look at the evolutionary history, the way animals uh, um, were found to be fit, you know, the way selection selected for fitness was not because you're the biggest and the baddest and the most violent. Although that's the way we've sort of been moving forward for the last few hundred years. And that's a very simple sub-example of what I think, you know, will emerge from this type of work. So I think if we put all these things together, there's individuals and there's groups and we have to sort of, uh, we're going we're gonna to have to sort of nail each one of these things. We have to be, quote unquote, better people as individuals and we have to be better groups. And, and, and the first thing is required to do the second thing. Two, we have to take this personal inventory that's dynamic and changing and it's going to vary by culture uh, and by age and all these different things. But we have to understand our values, ethics, morals, feelings, and needs in the short and the long term. And then we have to get together and discuss these things and sort of understand you know, the differences and the similarities. And I really think from that will emerge, and people have done this kind of work, a sort of universal moral code or uh, a fundamental set of basic human needs uh, that I think we can convert then into some social structure that sort of says everybody gets this. And how are we going to make sure that happens? How are we going to manage, govern, and sort of direct group interactions toward a better efficiency, uh, given that there's 8 billion of us? Uh, So we know we can't make decisions as if there were 50 people living in a you know, an area anymore. Four, how are we going to allocate resources in an equitable fashion? What does that mean? What does that look like? Is that something that comes out of that moral uh, ethics work? And then how do we sort of remember to, 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 to not be complacent and to see this as a dynamic process through time? Pretty straightforward. To me, that makes a whole lot of sense. And I'm going to build on this, I think, This is going to become a central theme uh, for the subsequent episodes. I look forward to it. I really want to interact with people. Uh, One of the things I have an idea for the future, maybe when I get to episode 150, is to start to reach out to the people that I'm seeing out there in the world that do this kind of work and talk about it in another set of uh, interviews on Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This has been episode 141, a comprehensive approach for understanding our biosphere, I originally called Beyond Ecology. I'm Chris Bircher. I'll see you next time. Take it easy.